Thank you, Auntie Amy. Good morning, church. If you're not there already, would you please turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. <clears throat> and I'll wait till you get there so that I can set up as well. Colossians chapter 1. All right. Well, let me, let me go to the Lord in prayer, and, and since he enables us to understand his word, let's ask him to help us to understand his word. <clears throat> Dear Father, in Christ are infinite deposits of wisdom and knowledge, so we run to him this morning seeking wisdom and knowledge. Holy Spirit, would you enable us to understand your word rightly? And, and I desire to serve my brothers and sisters well, so would you use me to speak your word faithfully, accurately, and so display the glory and sufficiency of your Son? Would you increase our love for one another here at KBC as your gospel is held up in all its glory? We pray this for the glory of your Son. Amen. Amen. For the Spartan soldier, there was one thing that constituted as a capital crime. It's, it was not the loss of their helmet or their breastplate, but their shield. Their shield. Why? What, what makes losing, even dropping your shield in the field of battle, worthy of a soldier's citizenship rights being stripped from him? Because the soldier's helmet and breastplate is for his own protection, but his shield is not for his own protection, but for the protection of the soldier to his left. In the shield wall, the Spartan army called the phalanx, the soldier relies on the soldier to his right to protect him, while he protects the soldier to his left. Failure to protect his brother was a crime of the highest order. He holds his shield for the sake of another. He labors for the sake of the line. Well, this morning, as, as I preach through the book of Colossians, we're going to hear about Paul's labors. Paul's labors for the sake of another. And so in verse 29 in chapter 1, we, we, see, we see this. Paul says, For this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul is toiling, laboring, agonizing with incredible might, needing God's energizing for this task. What, what could he be working so hard for? It's surely something we should be working for, right? I, I wonder what or whom would you say you're working for this morning, maybe your family, maybe your, your kids, maybe, maybe, maybe someone else or something else. I wonder if what we are working for is the same as what Paul is 
working for? Well, the answer is what I believe to be the main point of our text here in Colossians chapter 1 through 2, verse 5. And what I hope you will take away from our time in the Word this morning. And this, this is what the main point of the text is. Work hard for the sake of the church, so displaying the sufficiency of Christ. Work hard for the sake of the church, so displaying the sufficiency of Christ. We see this in, in three points. This is how I think the, the, the text is structured. Point number one, the manner of Paul's labor. Point number two, the people for whom Paul labored. Point number three, the goal of Paul's labor. So if you're taking notes, there's three points. The manner of Paul's labor, the people for whom Paul labored, and the third point, the goal of Paul's labor. So point number one, the manner of Paul's labor. And this is verse 24. Look with me at the text. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. So, so Paul first says, I, I rejoice in my sufferings, and this isn't a new concept uh, for us, is it? We're, we're reading through Romans as, as a church. Our Bible reading plan is in Romans, and we've heard Paul say in, in Romans chapter 5 that he rejoices in his sufferings. Because it's producing things in his heart, right? Character and patience, endurance, hope. They're, they're doing something for him, but here Paul is saying something just a little bit different. He, he's rejoicing in his sufferings, not because it's doing something for him, but for your sake, for the sake of another. Paul further emphasizes this by saying this really interesting phrase. I don't know if you caught it. Um, and in my flesh, says in verse 24, and in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. You may think, uh-oh, like, what, is, what, is, what is Paul saying here? Well, well, Paul obviously doesn't mean that Christ's atoning work on the cross, his sufferings on the cross is lacking in some way, and, and Paul needs to do something to, to make it more complete no, Paul just made it clear in Colossians chapter 1, verse, 29, uh, verse 19 and 20. He says in chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, if you just look right above, For in him that is in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. See, Christ's death on the cross is so complete that it not only saves his people, not only saves sinners, but it has the power to bring the global effects and global destruction of sin under his rule and authority. This is the power of the cross. No, there is nothing, there is nothing lacking in what Christ did at the cross. What Paul means here when he says Christ's afflictions is that these are afflictions, these are trials, these are persecutions that come with being a servant of Christ. He calls himself a minister of Christ. That word minister is servant, where we get the word deacon. He is a servant of Jesus Christ. These are afflictions that pertain to Christ as being a follower of Jesus. Said more simply in John 15, verse 20, Jesus says, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 
as a follower of Jesus, how they persecuted him, they will persecute you when you are laboring for the sake of, the, of others, of the church, you are experiencing the same afflictions that Christ did. But, but not only that, you see, Paul gives us a sense that this sort of suffering is not only expected, but almost necessary. He says he is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. That word lacking is needed. He's saying there's, there's something needed that has to happen. There is a need that must be filled up. There is a need that must be completed that only suffering for the sake of the gospel can satisfy. How does that sound to you that, that we, we need to suffer, that that's needed, that we need to suffer? We, we decry the prosperity gospel that God wants us healthy and, and wealthy, but there's another prosperity gospel going on in our hearts, isn't there? How necessary do you feel it is for you to suffer for the sake of the church? Now, I want to make it clear that this is not suffering in general. This is not suffering in general. We, we suffer in many different ways. This is suffering that comes from standing for Jesus and spending your life for the good of the church. This is, this is persecutions, this is trials, this is suffering for the sake of the body of Christ. This is the reason why Paul is sitting in a prison right now writing this letter to the Colossian Christians. That's the kind of suffering I'm meaning when I say it this morning. So it's not suffering in general, but it is suffering for the sake of the gospel that Paul here suffered. How necessary do you feel it is for you to suffer for the sake of the church? Do, do you feel that your need to suffer for the good of brothers and sisters in Christ is just as necessary to you as maybe your own comfort? Do you feel it's your right? Maybe said a different way. Do you feel it's your right, your obligation to suffer for the sake of your brothers and sisters in Christ? You think about it like that talk more about how we might do that practically, but I want us to engage with that, with that concept of, of suffering that is, that is needed to, to complete what is necessary in Christ's afflictions because we want to engage with how. We want to be able to do what Paul does, how he suffers as he labors because I don't want us to be robbed of the rejoicing that comes from suffering for the sake of the church does that, does that surprise you how Paul labors? How does he work hard? Therefore, as he suffers as a, a servant of Jesus, he does so rejoicing. Brothers and sisters, there is a type of rejoicing that can only come from suffering as you are laboring, working hard for the church. There, there is a type of comfort that can only be had from suffering for the comfort of your brothers and sisters in Christ. How, do, how does that work? Well, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It's just a few pages to your left. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. I'll wait for you to turn there because this is, this is a really helpful verse to help us to understand what, what Paul is saying here. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. 
This is what, what Paul says to the church in Corinth. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so similar, similar phrase, as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. You can think rejoicing too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Sounds a lot like our text. But, and, and if you think this suffering is unique to Paul as an apostle, right? he did suffer uniquely as an apostle that we might not suffer. But if we, if we tend to think, okay, well, this is Paul's unique suffering as an apostle. Read on. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. There is a type of rejoicing and a type of comfort that can only be had when you work hard and suffer well and are inconvenienced for the sake of the comfort and joy of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Family, I, I have to confess that as I've studied this passage, I've been cut, I've been cut to the heart compared to Paul Compared to many of you, how you have served, I, I love comfort. I, I find myself at the end of a hard day when I'm tired, I feel like it's my God-given right to relax, not to be bothered and to think that's how I'm going to get comfort. In fact, I almost get offended when I don't get to relax and you know, like, Jen and I deserve this relaxation. And it's not wrong to relax a little. It's good and wise to relax, but maybe our idea of comfort needs a tiny bit of tweaking because God's word tells us exactly how we have comfort, exactly how we can get comfort, abundant comfort, in fact. How do you get that? Share abundantly in Christ's afflictions. Share abundantly in Christ's afflictions. Maybe you've been discouraged and you really wish someone would work hard to comfort you. Maybe, maybe you haven't been on the receiving end of this sort of work hard because you need comforting, but you haven't gotten that. Can I, can I encourage you? If you are here and you need comfort, one way to get that is to work hard to inconvenience yourself for the good of the church, and you will find yourself rejoicing and comforted as you share in Christ's afflictions. That's one way to get comfort. If you need it this morning, look outward. Look at how you might inconvenience yourself for the comfort and joy of your brothers and sisters. We'll get more on that later. So we see it's, it's needed to share in Christ's afflictions. For who, well, we've been talking about that. Look back with me at Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. For the sake of his body, the church. For the sake of his body, the church. That's our second point. The people for whom Paul labored. For the people for whom Paul labored. This is in chapter 1, verse 24 through 27. I'm going to, they said, I'm going to give us some practical 
ways that we can labor for the sake of the church later, but, and I'll be encouraging us to find ways to inconvenience ourselves for the sake of our brothers and sisters here at, at Kauli Baptist Church. But before I do, what we need, what for sure I need, but what, what we need to see is what Paul sees. Right? We, as I read this, I'm thinking, Paul, how can I even come close to saying that I rejoice in my sufferings for the sake of the church? If I'm honest with myself, I don't, I don't know if I want to suffer. And so how can, how can you say, when I read Paul, what Paul suffered for the sake of the gospel, I can't help but think, I'm not getting what Paul gets. I'm not understanding what, what Paul understands. We need these next verses. Brothers and sisters, we need these next verses. We're going to continue in. If we're going to continue in and grow in our laboring for the sake of the church, we need this right here. And look with me at Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 through 27. Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden from ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we see at the end of verse 24, Paul says that his suffering is for the sake of Christ's body, the church, then in the next couple verses, through the end of chapter 1, he, he, breaks, he breaks off into this tangent as if at the mention of the church, he, he needs to say something about the church. This is almost like a parenthetical like thought of Paul's. At the, at, at the thought of the church, Paul can't help but revel in the glory of God's new covenant people. He mentions the church, and, and then he just thinks of how beautiful the calling that he has for the church and how glorious the church is. Again, we want to see what Paul sees and understand what Paul profoundly understood, which drove him to labor, to work hard, so much so that he suffered for it and yet rejoiced in it. So what does Paul understand about the church and about the brothers and sisters in Christ here at KBC sitting next to you? This was uh, what, what we think about when Paul thinks about the church. He thinks in verse 25 about the church that Jesus called him to be a minister or, or the word, again, servant of. And what labeled his service? What, what did his service look like to make the word of God fully known, to make the Word of God fully known. This was Paul's task, that he would make the Word of God fully known, and specifically in verse 26, to make known something that was a mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, right? So we can, we can talk about this mystery and what that all that means, but, but, but I want to keep this under 45 minutes, and, and I think this is, this is the key right here. What Paul is about to say about the Christians in Colossae and what he is about to say about you and I and about the brothers and sisters sitting next to you is reality-altering. It is paradigm-shifting. Look with me at verse 27. 
to them, that is the saints, the church, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Okay, so, so just so we're clear, so that the glory of this verse isn't lost on us, so that the church, God chose to make known something to. God in his sovereign power and his sovereign grace and kindness who owes none of us any sort of knowledge chose out of the freedom of his will and love for us to make known not just to Israel but to Gentiles like us to to the nations of people who were not his people who were not shown mercy but God chose to reveal something to us And this something is glorious, but it isn't just glorious. It is rich in glory, but it isn't just rich in glory. It is great, greatly rich in glory. What what is it that is great and rich and wealthy in glory? Christ in you. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Why does Paul rejoice when he suffers as he labors? It is because he does so for the sake of those whom Christ indwells. For those of whom Jesus says, this one is mine. So much so that I'm intimately identified with them. I represent them before the throne of God. He, he gladly suffers for the sake of those who God has qualified, delivered from the domain of darkness, transferred into the, kind, uh, in, into the likeness of his Son, redeemed, forgiven, reconciled, blameless before the throne of God because of this reality, Christ in you. This reality is great and rich in glory, and it is our only hope. Of glory. These are the ones whom Paul labors for. Those sitting around you, your brothers, your sisters in Christ, how great and rich and glorious it is that this is true of them, that Christ is in them. This is what Paul sees when he looks at the church. He sees Christ in you. You know what's coming, right? Whenever I talk, this is what I make you do. Just, just kind of look at the, your, your, your brothers and sisters in Christ right now. Just, just look at them. Look, look at them. You're looking at one of whom this is true. Christ in you you. That, that's what you're looking at. If, if, you're, if you're watching online and you're a member here at KBC, I know some aren't able to make it in person because they're physically hindered from coming. How great and how rich in glory is it that Christ is in these here at Calloway Baptist Church? How great. Some, some of the people in this room, we, we, should be, we should be canceling each other. We should be canceling each other in, in this room. Some here have voted differently than, than you have. 
believe differently about masks and about vaccines. Some believe differently about the government's role during this pandemic. Some people here may rub you the wrong way because of that. Some people here have differences of opinion and, and times and, and even secondary doctrines of like election. They may rub you the wrong way, but of those same people, this is true. God chose to make known to them how great and rich and glory is the reality that Christ is in them. For whom does Paul labor? And for whom are you called to work hard for and to suffer for? Those around you. The ones in whom Christ dwells. What a joy, is it not? What a joy to work hard for those who say, who Jesus says, he is mine. She is mine. At the mention of the church, Paul cannot help but remind his readers of the greatness and riches of glory of the truth that Christ dwells within them. So we see what Paul sees. We have a better understanding of who Paul would suffer and even rejoice to suffer for, even if it's necessary, even to feel that it's necessary to suffer for. <clears throat> but what's the goal? What's the goal of his hard work? The answer to this will give us an idea of what we should be working for and how we might go about doing that. <clears throat> this is... Our final point, point number three, the goal of Paul's labor. In chapter 1, verses 28 through chapter 2, verse 5. Look with me there. I'll read it. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that, power, that he powerfully works within me, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So we see in verse 29, Paul is indicating the, the goal of his toil. This, this reason, the reason for his struggling, that, that word struggling is the word agonizing. The reason he does so with all God's energy that, that God powerfully works within him, he gives us this goal, and this goal must be ours, KBC. The reason for our hard work, what are you working for? What was Paul working for? Verse 28, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. To present everyone mature in 
Christ, this must be the goal of our suffering and inconveniencing ourselves so that we may present everyone here mature in Christ. You notice in verse 28, Paul's use of the plural pronoun, him we proclaim. He switches from saying I to we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is not just Paul's job. He would have said, I, right? This is my job. This is not just our pastor's job. This is our job, brothers and sisters. This is every one of our goals. This is, one of, this is what we do as members of Colony Baptist Church. We are all to work hard and to toil that we may all present each other mature in Christ. The, the, the term is every member ministry. On Sundays, we are being equipped for the work of the ministry. We are all to do this work for this goal, to present each other mature in Christ. So may I ask, how are you laboring to present the others at KBC mature in Christ? There are, there are so many examples of how we are excelling in this. It is so encouraging. I, me and my family, we've been recipients of this kind of labor. Yesterday, there were, there were guys out there working hard, cutting down tree limbs over there. And it, there are so many ways. We are visiting one another. We're praying for one another. There are so many ways we are excelling in presenting each other, mature in Christ. And we can also continue to grow in this. And those of you who are at home not gathering yet, again, some are physically unable to come. But how would you say you are laboring to present others here at KBC mature in Christ? Maybe you at home or here, maybe you haven't given it much thought. Maybe, maybe this is kind of the first time you're hearing something like this because you're, you're new or maybe you haven't given it much thought. Maybe you desire to, but... You just don't know how to go about doing that. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you don't or you struggle to do this because you don't feel like you're mature enough to help others mature in the faith. If, if that last one is you, if maybe you don't feel like you're mature enough, can I, can I encourage you to, to take heart? There, there, is, there, is, there is no secret to becoming mature in Christ. We are all maturing into the faith. And in fact, the most mature Christians I know know that they need everyone, that every member, there is no dispensable member. Each part is indispensable, Paul says in Corinthians. But, but if you want to mature in Christ, Paul spells it out here in verse 28. Two things, submit to the teachings of Christ and to submit to wise admonishment of faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Those are, those are the ways that you mature. Did you notice that? It's warning and teaching. Submit to wise admonishment. Submit to wise teaching. You can do that by meditating on the sermon throughout. 
the weak. And you can also ask faithful brothers and sisters to, to, to know you, to know your life so they can speak wise words into specific and even uncomfortable areas of your life. You want to grow in maturity? Meditate on the Word of God, the wise teachings of the Word, and seek out wise counsel from your brothers and sisters here so that they might admonish and encourage you. That's how you grow in maturity in Christ. So what does working hard to present others mature in Christ look like? Look with me at at chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Paul here expands what it looks like that those for whom he labors for might be presented mature in Christ. So this is, this is how we are to grow in maturity. Paul gives us three goals. Three goals of our hard work. And we're going to end here with application. This will be our application. Three goals. Paul's labors were designed to encourage, to promote loving community, and to promote a certainty of the sufficiency of Christ. Or in other words, work hard to encourage each other. Work hard to promote loving community. And work hard to promote a certainty of the sufficiency of Christ. Application number one, work hard to encourage one another. Encourage each other. Brothers and sisters, when you come here to the gathering on Sunday mornings, are, are you looking to work? Are you looking to work? You're probably looking to receive something, right? Which, which that's good. That's not a bad thing. We are blessed here at Kauai Baptist to have men, faithful men that I look up to very much. Everyone who fills this pulpit, I look up to very much as, as men who who Paul says, make the word of God fully known. Right? We are blessed at KBC to have, have preachers of the Bible who like to preach through the Bible. Right? I think I counted, I think since, since 2000, is it 13, we've preached through 14 books of the Bible. At that pace, it's going to be like 30 years that we preach through the whole Bible. So stick around for that. Um, but but I am, I'm so blessed that we have pastors and men here that I look up to as faithful teachers of the word, but we can forget that, that we are to toil, to work hard, to present everyone mature in Christ, and, and one of the best opportunities to do that is on Sunday morning when we are all together. So when you come to church, be prepared to work hard, to encourage each other. I want to give you two practical ways that, that, you, could, that you could do this. One will we'll take no preparation beforehand. Well, I mean, it doesn't have to take preparation beforehand. Uh, and the second will take effort this week. Encourage you to do both. The first is to sing. 
to sing. The, the uniqueness of us coming together as a gathering and singing, that's different than you singing in your car, you singing in your shower, you singing at home by yourself. It's different because we are together. You know what I'm about to say again. We are intentionally, we intentionally include songs every Sunday that are meant to be sung to each other. It, it takes almost no preparation beforehand, although you can listen to the songs before so you know them a little better. But, but I encourage you, sing to one another. Sing loud so that the other person can hear you and, and think in your mind, I am singing in the hearing of one who is indwelt by Christ. That, that at the sound, at the, at the, as they hear these words, their hearts are going to be encouraged. That's how you can encourage one another, is singing to one another. We're going to sing, O Church Arise, for our song of response. I encourage you, if, if you don't want to look at one another, then, then sing so that you are in the hearing of your brothers and sisters. And these words of the chorus, Arise, shine. For your light has come. Arise, shine for the risen sun. Lift your eyes. We are his radiant bride. Christ in us, we are his radiant bride. Arise, O church, arise. As your hope of glory that we are his bride, encourage one another with these words. The second way to work hard to encourage each other is this. Do you, do, you, do you know what this is? This is, this is? Yeah, this is the member directory. It's our church directory. How many of you have one? All right. For those of you who don't, we have them out in the foyer on the counter there. Please take one. Please take one. And, and, and this is, so this is for members. So please, if you are not a member or, if, you know, if you're in the member orientation, then I encourage you to take one. But, but if you're not a member, see me. We would love for you to become a member. Um, but, but can we do something this week? Can, can you take one? And, and if we don't have enough, then, then let me know. Let, let Lynn know. We'll try to get you a copy. But can, can we do this this week? Can you, can you commit to spending 15 minutes, 15 minutes, maybe, maybe 10 minutes, every day this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Can you mit, commit to 15 minutes every day praying through this directory? You may say, oh, I don't have much time. I don't have a lot of time to do this just for this week. Just for this week, every day. Inconvenience yourself a little bit. Take time to, to pray through this. Carry it around with you. Guys, if you wear... Uh, pants with or shorts with pockets. Actually, I, I don't know of any pants that don't have pockets. Are there such things? Anyway, like pajama, I don't know. Anyway, if you <laughs> carry this around in your pocket, <laughs> um, you can fold it. It's paper. You can fold it. Carry it around with you. Women, if you probably have pants with pockets too, but if you have purses, carry, around, carry this around with you. Instead of maybe taking out your phone to look at something, take this out. Put it in your back pocket. This, this one doesn't fit, but you can fold it, or you can alter yours like mine. I cut it down a little bit so it fits in my Bible. 
and in my back pocket. This week, take 15 minutes every day. Commit to praying. Try to work through the entire directory. There aren't that many names in here, families. If you don't know who they are, be encouraged. Paul hadn't met these Colossian Christians face-to-face yet, but he was able to pray for them. Pray for these people. If you don't know what to pray for them, take Colossians. Take Paul's prayer in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 14. This is a prayer of, uh, that, that he prays for people that he, doesn't, he hasn't seen yet. Pray Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 14. Pray through that for people that you don't know. And for those of you who are home, pray through this. Let us know if you need a copy of one of these. But this week, can we commit to praying through that? Maybe you have to, maybe you have to think about that for a little while. But how many of you right now are prepared to, to say, I want to try that really hard? Just nod. You don't have to raise your hand. Yeah, you can raise your hand. <laughs> Just nod. Like, if, if you'll try really hard to do this this week, yeah? Let's try to do that. Application number two. Work hard to promote loving community. Work hard to promote loving community. So you, you can see how this might kind of go hand in hand. Once you finish praying through most or all of this directory, when you show up to church next week, Sunday, get ready to work. Get ready to work. Show up. Look for someone that you prayed for. Maybe someone that you haven't talked to yet or don't talk to very often. And tell them, like, hey, I prayed for you this week. I don't really know you very well. Can, can you just tell me how I could continue to pray for you? That's, that's sort of the, the, the minimum. Minimum. Just find one person next week Sunday. But it will, it will it, minimum work, but it will yield great fruit. It will promote loving community. Do that, do that this week, and then next week, Sunday, talk to someone that you prayed for. Another way that you can promote loving community, as you maybe pray through this directory, as you allotted time every day, take some time to brainstorm ways that you can inconvenience yourself for the sake of your brothers and sisters in Christ here at KBC. Brainstorm ways you can inconvenience yourself. Again, is that that's sort of sort of strange? We often make decisions and plans to avoid being inconvenienced. But often, working hard to promote loving community will involve us laying down our preferences, humbling ourselves, being quick to forgive and assume the best of each other, and it will involve doing things that are inconvenient for you, but convenient for others. So I'm not just saying, like, just think of ways that I can just be inconvenient, um, but think of ways that you can serve others, and it might be inconvenient for you. Don't take that as a sign that you shouldn't do it. And that takes asking people, how can I serve you? And if it's inconvenient, don't let that stop you. Brainstorm ways that you can maybe inconvenience yourself. For the good of others this week. We are to be knit together in love. Not knit together in similar opinion. So, so find someone that maybe, maybe you don't know very well or maybe you know very well that they, have, they see things differently than you do. 
and ask them, hey, you, you see something differently. I legitimately want to hear it, not so that I can change your mind, but because I love you, and I want to promote loving community because we are to be knit together in love, not to knit together in similar opinion, not knit together in politics, not knit together in our belief about end times, not knit together in similar season of life, not knit together in musical preference, not to knit together in our ethnic similarities, but knit together in love. Love is not a feeling of unity, but a unity that is hard won. It was hard won at the cross where we are united, and it is hard won in practically laying down our preferences, our comforts, our joys, and sometimes our aspirations for the good of others who are indwelt by Christ. There's so many examples of how you have done this so well. I, I, we don't have time to go through all the examples, but when I was talking with some of our older members this, this week, and they told me stories of the old days here at KBC. They told me stories of, of Uncle Jerry, Hurai. He, he would go between Kauai Baptist and, and the church plant, Kihei Baptist uh, Chapel, and he would teach Sunday school in Kihei, then drive back here to teach Sunday school here. What he did for these churches held them together in those trying times. He promoted loving community, and that was inconvenient for him. Oh, but, but the, the, the testimony of that work we see, and we are, we are reaping the fruits of their labors. Brothers and sisters, you might not see the fruit of your labor in promoting loving community now, but years, 30, 40, 50, should the Lord tarry 1,000 years from now, we will see the fruit of your labors. We are reaping the fruit of Paul's labors 2,000 years later. Inconvenience yourself to promote loving community, encourage one another, work hard to encourage one another, and, and all this culminates in our last application point, application number three, work hard to promote a certainty of the sufficiency of Christ. The Colossians were being tempted to look elsewhere to find wisdom and knowledge. And when Paul says in chapter 2, verse 3, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, that would make the ears of the Colossian readers kind of, kind of perk up. That would have caught their attention because the false teachers that were creeping in would say that they have the key to closeness to the divine. They have the key to real wisdom, real knowledge, you have to stop eating these things, and you have to start praying to this angel. That's how you can really get close to God. But Paul says here that in Christ is, is the very storehouse, the, the vaults where unlimited treasures of wisdom and knowledge are drawn from. But, but not only is Christ where treasures are to be found, but Christ himself is our great treasure. And so our labors, our working hard, is to display that there is nowhere else to go but to flee to Christ. That there is no other treasure than Christ. 
Does the way you read your Bible, the amount of time you spend in the Word, does it display? It's meant to display that you are certain of the sufficiency of Christ. Does the way you read your Bible display that you are certain of the sufficiency of Christ, that Jesus is enough? Does the way you cling to his promises display how much he is your treasure? When was the last time your family or co-workers saw you confess and repent of a sin that you were guilty of? That displays your certainty of how sufficient Christ is. How often is forgiveness your first response when someone sins against you and repents? That displays how certain the sufficiency of Christ is, that he has forgiven you an immeasurable debt. So who are you to withhold forgiveness from your brother or sister? It displays that Jesus is more than enough. He is our treasure. There's been much in the past few years that can drive people away from each other and even worse, put people at odds with one another. How can you suffer for the sake of those in this church who may again disagree? And how could that not gloriously display to the onlooking world the certainty that Jesus is sufficient, that Jesus is a treasure of greatest worth and value? He is sufficient. And if you're here and you're not a Christian or you're watching and you're not a Christian, I hope that this astonishes you. Here is a people who say that they will rejoice in our sufferings for the sake of others. That, that, that might seem normal if, if we were sort of blood-related, but many of us aren't. Here is a people who are committing to plan ways to inconvenience themselves by laying down their preferences, their opinions, their comforts so they, they might present others mature in Christ. That's not normal. That's different. That is otherworldly. That is godly. Our hope of glory is Christ in us. And that is our only hope. And that's what we need to be seeing with eyes that see Christ in us. If you're, not, if you're here and you're not a Christian, this should astonish you. This should make you wonder what is going on here. And may it point to the sufficiency of Christ. That is because of him, not because of us. We've sinned. We have sinned and you have sinned against God. If you're here and you're not a Christian, how do you go from sinner to knowing the greatness of the riches of glory that are in Christ. The only way any of us have been indwelt by Christ is repent. Turn from your sin. Turn to Jesus who is able to save you because he bore in himself the wrath our sins have earned and he was sufficient for the task. Heed the words of wisdom in the gospel to run to Christ in faith. You're hearing you're not a Christian, do that, and I pray that he gives you the ability to do that this morning. Well, brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but I need what Paul says in verse 29. He's struggling, agonizing with all his energy, with all God's energy that he powerfully works within me. I do not naturally want to work hard to suffer. I do not naturally want to do that. How do I tap into that power to work hard for the sake of the church? What Paul doesn't say, if you notice, what Paul doesn't say is, God works powerfully in me with all his energy, therefore I toil. He doesn't say that. 
He says, I toil, and as I toil and agonize, I do so with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. How do you get this power? You don't wait for it. You simply begin the hard work. Begin the hard work. This is my shield. I bear it before me into battle. But it is not mine alone. It protects my brother on my left. It protects my city. I will never let my brother out of its shadow, nor my city out of its shelter. I will die with my shield before me, facing the enemy. Brothers and sisters, work hard for each other. Work hard for the sake of the church, so displaying the sufficiency of Christ. Let's pray. Dear Father, be with our labors as we work hard to encourage each other today and this week. Help us as we commit to praying for each other this week. Help us to brainstorm ways we can inconvenience ourselves to present each other mature in Christ. I pray for the efforts that we already have been growing in to continue. And I pray for more. Would you knit us together into a loving community that displays the certainty that your son is our treasure and he is all we need. What a joy and a privilege it is to spend ourselves for those for whom it is true that Christ is in them. As we do this, would you cause us to be a church rejoicing in your work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.